Uh, I want to welcome you uh, to our gathering once again. Thank you for being with us today. If I don't know you, uh, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and man, I am glad to be here today. Uh, I am glad to be, uh, man, preaching God's Word. It's been a while since I've been up here. And uh, I, Jeremy this week was like, hey, I just want you to know that, like, man, you know, just be remember, getting back into the swing of it is not easy. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Haley and I didn't really sleep much last night. Uh, and I woke up today and I was like, yeah, I feel that, right? It's real. Uh, but man, I am excited about this time. And so if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 1. We are in our Advent series where we're looking uh, at the truth that Jesus has come and He will come again. One of the songs we just sang has that, that bridge portion that says, man, He will come. We know He's heard our cry. Right, And so part of that reverts back to the reality of Scripture. That man, there was this longing anticipation that Jesus would come. And we see that, and we will see that today in the story of His birth. But also, in that song, it says, man, we know that He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we know that, man, one day He will do that very thing. And so, man, I hope that that brings joy to our hearts today. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew 1 Finishing the chapter by looking at the joy of Christ in this season of anticipation through the story of his birth. So last week, Jeremy kicked us off uh, by looking at why Jesus came. And, and what he said or shared is that uh, we looked at that uh, long list of names, right? A list that we often skim over or just kind of uh, jump over and just say, yeah, 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 I can't pronounce those names. Uh, or I don't, you know, uh, or I, I just don't have time for that. Let's get to the meat of what's going on. And I hope you saw that, man, there is so much value in those names. What Jeremy shared was that as we look at Jesus's genealogy, we see three things. We see that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. Man, even that list of names, he didn't get to all the names and get to press in to each and every one. But man, there is just a, a, a story of brokenness after story of brokenness after story of brokenness. And yet, through that line, the Savior would come. Next, we saw that he is the righteous king that we needed. We see a list of kings well, all throughout Scripture. And every single one of them, whether they did good or bad, they were all still sinful and couldn't be what Jesus is. And what we needed. And lastly, we saw that his kingdom extends to the nations. Really, that, that picture of the genealogy should remind us that we are to be a people that are sent and that go and that proclaim the good news of the gospel to the world around us. From the Jerusalems of Brenham to Samaria to, uh, to the ends of the earth. And so what I want to do today is I want to follow this by looking at the story that Matthew's gospel presents for how Jesus came and what the story of his birth means for our lives today. Now, reflecting on Jesus's birth uh, and the story of his birth during this Advent season, again, uh, this time is a time to say, hey, he came and is coming again. Man, I believe that it is a few things for us that I just want to remind us of before we jump in first is that it reveals that the gospel is rescue plan one of one. There is no plan B. There's no other way by which salvation could come to us. God had to put on flesh, dwell among us, live the life we couldn't live, die the death we deserve to die so that we might know this good news. Next, what His coming does, I believe, is it reveals the great love that God has for us. I mean, the most famous verse in the Bible, right? John three sixteen. for God what? 
He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Like we see that on display and it begins with Jesus' birth. And then what we see is that Jesus' coming led to his suffering. That by the grace of God, not by any merit or works of our own, leads to salvation. But also leads to our sending and empowers our sharing. And so with that, let's look now at the story that Matthew presents regarding how Jesus came and what it means for our lives. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 to kick us off. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame... Resolve to divorce her quietly. Okay, so I, I just want to stop for a moment and I want to sit in the words of Matthew here. Because I, I don't know about you, but when I think about the Advent story, when I think about the story of Jesus' birth, when I think about all the plays that I was in at First Baptist Clifton growing up, this is not the story that we looked at, right? I mean, if you really want to dig in and see a, a, a more elaborate story, go to the Gospel of Luke. And what you're going to find there is it's going to be way more detailed and way more poetic. There's songs. There's all kinds of stuff going on, right? There's shepherds. There's wise men that come later, later, later. But you see, as I prepared for our time in this text, I found myself drawn to the manner by which Matthew presents the details he does here in the story. Because I believe that it speaks not only to our own stories, but to our lives as followers of this King who has come and will come again. And so look at just how it begins in verse 18. Listen to this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Man, there is so, so much depth in the first half of verse 18. To begin, Matthew, who is again writing to a primarily Jewish audience, shares for the third time in 18 verses the truth that the one that he's talking about, the one that he proclaims is not simply a man, he is the Christ. Again, Jesus' last name was not Christ. Christ means Messiah. What Matthew was saying, he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. The one we've waited for. And man, that is a huge descriptor. Guess what? None of us have, none of us should ever carry that descriptor. If you proclaim that descriptor over your life, we're going to call you either a cult leader or a heretic. You see, in my life, I've been called a lot of things. Some good, many that I can't share up here. And yet, I've never been called that. And the reason being is because I don't deserve it. The reason being is, is even though like uh, before, like, you know, in, in the hearts of who we are in our depravity, man, we all like to be the kings and queens of our kingdom. We do not hold that, that, call, that, that title of Messiah. We don't deserve it. Also, you shouldn't want it. Like we need him to be that righteous king. We need him to be the savior. But following this name, all Matthew does in the story of Jesus' birth is he simply states, he says, look, his birth took place in this way. 
Again, up front, that seems just like some simple filler that leads to the meat of the text. But for the audience that that would have been reading this, and for us today, this opening statement should speak volumes regarding the person and work of Christ. You see, I believe the reason that Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shares the birth story in the manner he does is because he's just building upon the genealogy he's already laid out. Matthew wants those reading to realize up front and with no frills that Jesus is the Messiah that they've longed for. And because He has been born in this way, which we're going to get to in a moment, they don't have to wonder. They, they, they don't have to look elsewhere. They don't have to anticipate another one to come. The Messiah, the Anointed One, has come. You see, in life, uh, uh, according to Matthew, we, each one is, we have nowhere else to look but to the birth of Jesus to see that our Savior has come. There is no more need to look for a Savior to be born. There is no more need to hope for the incarnation to take place. Jesus is the one that the Old Testament speaks of and was longed for. Therefore, according to Matthew 1.18, we wait not for the birth of a Savior, but for the return of our Savior. For every prophecy regarding this rescuing Messiah who would be Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God was fulfilled in Jesus and Jesus alone. I mean, that's what Advent is. It is both celebration and anticipation. For those that were there and knew of Jesus' birth, and for us today, it is a celebration of what was anticipated. And for us today, it is an anticipation that produces celebration for what's to come. Again, we wait not for the birth of a Savior, but for the return of our Savior. Today, don't look elsewhere. And guess what? I don't know if you know, but everything around you is telling you to look elsewhere. I saw a meme this week that said, you know, this is the time of year where car commercial, or you see car commercials where people buy cars for family members that they didn't tell them they were buying a car. And like, they were like, what kind of craziness is that? But that's where we're at, right? It's just like, yeah, you know, like, look at this, look at that, man. Everything, your expectations should be on all these other things. I mean, if we do that, If we begin to look elsewhere, man, we can miss what's taking place, not just in this season, but again, in every moment of our lives. Don't look elsewhere. That's the temptation for the season. I was talking to to Haley and she's been reading this uh, Advent devotional by Ruth uh, Cho Simons. And and what uh, she's talking about is this uh, this call to expectation, right? But she does it in two ways. She says we can be expectant with joy or we can have all these expectations. And usually, if we're honest, during the holiday season, we just have a bunch of expectations. And it can be about when you should start playing Christmas music or not, you know. When you're supposed to watch this movie or that movie. Or, I think what uh, Simons does well is she says, man, we can even put expectations on our family on how the day is supposed to go. We, we can even put expectations on our spouse or on others by saying, you should be able to read my mind and know what I wanted in this moment. And holidays will make you crazy. <laughs> we can have the expectation that it's, well, if I don't get this gift, then it's not worth it. It has to be this. 
And man, in each and every one of those things, what we need to realize is they will always fail and always disappoint. But when we become expectant for what God might want to do, when we have expectant joy about the Jesus that has come and is coming again, man, what, what the devotional says is that, man, we can trust God because God never disappoints. What He promises, He will do. May that be our posture. Another reason I believe that this is so important is when we think about Jesus' birth story and even the way that Matthew just states it. It it happened this way. Like, I believe that that, that's key for us because I don't know about you or if you've experienced this. Man, uh, birth stories are important because they're amazing events in each of our lives and, and that we all have them, right? Like, I don't care what my grandfather told me growing up because countless times he said, Kyle, you weren't born, you were hatched from an egg. And I believed him for a really long time. But I wasn't. (laughs) If you leave with the truth today, I wasn't hatched from an egg, okay? Some of you might argue against that, but I was born. (laughs) Nephew. Uh, He's like, yeah, he was. I was born, and the reason I know this is because, man, I've been told the story. So I was raised in a small town in Clifton, Texas, and in that town we had a hospital, and so I knew my doctor from an early age. And so Dr. Spitzer, when I would see him, we would have our pleasantries, and, you know, Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Dr. Spitzer, how are you? And you know, I do it. And then without fail, every time I saw him, he'd be like, hey, you know you were the second hardest baby I ever delivered. I'm like six years old, and I'm like, all right. And praise God, he didn't go into what that entailed. And, uh, but all I know from the story is through the pictures I've seen when I have a huge gash on my eyebrow and I look like a prize fighter that's just fought 12 rounds. And I'm like, yeah, maybe so. But it was so significant to that doctor. He wanted to tell me over and over, hey, I just want you to know that you made my life hard. Okay? Over the last three weeks, aside from people telling Haley and I that Elliot is the most beautiful baby they've ever seen, to which we agree, we have been asked two common questions. The first of which, I've already been asked here today, are you getting any sleep? Which, if you're going to ask us today, I am. Uh, Last night was a little rough, but overall, I'm getting more sleep than Haley. But the other question is, we've got, I got this yesterday. How, how was, how was the birth? How was the delivery? Like, well, that's odd. But people care about it. Because they want to know that, man, it was good or it, it, it went well. And, man, I know, I know maybe for some of you in the room, like, when you think about that, like, I, I want you to hear this. Man, today maybe you, you have a different story in some ways. And there's some hardness and brokenness of even hearing that. I want you to know that, man, God is near to the brokenhearted. And that He wants to take those things. He wants you to give Him the... And He wants to bring healing and hope and comfort and grace in the midst of it. But not only that, man, He wants you to know that man, you man, need to get involved in a local church that can help walk alongside you in that. You see, what I believe is that even in the midst of that, to know and understand the story of Jesus' birth is far more important and joyous than any other because it is the foundation of the incarnation. If we don't have this, we have nothing. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene. He did later and they didn't know who, like, who is this guy. He's been in obscurity for 30 years, but man, he was, he was born. He put on flesh. 
You see, the incarnation gives us grounding to say that he has come and we don't need to look anywhere else. And so this is why Matthew begins the way he does. Now, it may not have come in the way they expected, but again, Jesus was the unexpected king that according to God's word was expected all along. And man, that might be hard for those hearing this during this time period or even us today to grasp, but this birth story is not what we would expect for a king. He was born in a stable and not a palace, right? He, he was greeted and celebrated by shepherds who were despised by culture, not royals. Also, according to Matthew's account, what led to his birth was a story of wrestling that called for faith in God, while also revealing to us that following Jesus cost us. You see, what we gain through the process far outweighs the cost. Because what we find after our quick introduction is that all seems amiss from the start in regards to Jesus' birth story. There's not this amazing, like, Mary's Magnificent that overflows out. Actually, what we see is that Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And that's a lot that we don't have time to press into all of. But again, I love the blunt and straightforward informational style that Matthew uses here. And what we find is that this that a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph are betrothed to be married, but Mary finds herself to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so for the sake of clarity, I want to break down what happens in this moment, beginning with betrothal. Because I think it's important to know kind of what's going on here. So betrothal in this culture was essentially a year-long engagement between a couple that would allow for a, really a couple of things. First, it would allow for the couple to get to know each other relationally over a year's time. Probably pretty smart. You see, in a culture that, that wasn't like us, where we, you know, you start dating or hanging out maybe, and then depending on what university or college you went to, maybe you have a DTR, you define the relationship. Uh, and then from there, you know, you, things move and you get engaged, and then there's that engagement. Like, that's kind of what we would call this process. But, but man, in this context... What would happen is families would get together and they would arrange a marriage and then we'd say, hey, you're going to be married. Now you're in your betrothal time and in this year you need to get to know one another. It would be like us when couples get engaged. Man, we would ask as a church, as, as leadership, is, hey, you need to go through a time of premarital counseling where we're going to read books and we're going to press in and we're going to do a few things. First and foremost, we're going to give you a, a biblical picture of marriage that is entrenched in the gospel. Because guess what? You're going to need the good news of Jesus when you get married. <laughs> for yourself and for one another. But next, we're going to press in to say, hey, you're, you're two separate people becoming one. And guess what? When two sinners get together, what happens? And we're, we can be selfish. We can have ideas. We can have expectations. So we want to press in. We want to, as one writer says, we want to catch the foxes before they run rampant in the field. And so we want to look, man, are there things in your life and in your heart? Do y'all, man, do y'all have different directions that you're going? Because during this time, if y'all do, y'all might want to reconsider, has God called you to be married or not? And then also in that, we want to, as we create a gospel picture of marriage, we want to say, hey, as you become together, man, one thing y'all need to talk about is what is God wanting to call you to for the, for the proclamation of his kingdom and his glory to the world around you? Because I believe that marriage it is one of your greatest gospel proclaimers for those that are married. 
In the same way, I would say, man, if you're called to singleness, singleness is your greatest gospel proclaimer. So don't discount it. But the second thing that happens is in these arranged marriages, the groom's parents would pay a dowry. So they would give some kind of monetary fee to say, hey, here's some money, here's some land, here's some goats. Like, you take this and, and we will, uh, our son will marry your daughter. But during that year, what it does is it gives them time to make sure, did we make a good investment, really on both sides? As the husband, is the, the, the husband that's betrothed, is he faithful? Is he his who we think he is? And, and is the, the, the wife betrothed, is she faithful? And one of the ways you would know if they were faithful or not is if they became pregnant during the betrothal. And so Mary and Joseph are going through their engagement phase leading to their wedding and an issue arises. Mary is found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Again, Matthew is not one for a soft lead in, but just giving the details of Mary's pregnancy. Well, what he's doing there is he's keying in on something Joseph won't understand until later. You see, what's happened there is something supernatural has taken place. And again, we don't have time to get into all of that. I don't even know if I fully understand all of that. But the incarnation has taken place. But what I want us to do is just place yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. Like the woman you're set to marry is found to be pregnant. I'm sure that he is filled with a litany of emotions that are all focused on Mary being unfaithful and what it means for his life and even his image. And yet look at his response in the text. Because I believe it shows a beautiful picture of Joseph's character. Says Joseph, being a just or a righteous man, was unwilling to put Mary to shame publicly. Guess what? In his unwillingness to do that, that likely brought some shame on him publicly. He was going to walk through that. And he was okay with that. What he did was he sought to divorce her quietly. Joseph chose divorce, which during the betrothal was allowed. During that betrothal period, he would have been able to say, no, this has happened. Uh, we need to, uh, we can legally divorce. But if they would have, he would have gone through with the betrothal in marriage. There was no out there. Divorce would not be on the table. Actually, the only thing on the table would have been for her to be stoned to death. In selecting divorce, it would have been an opportunity for Joseph to get out with limited scars You see, I think what we see here is a picture of righteous compassion that would be seen later in the son who was not his own, what would become his own. You see, Jesus would look at his bride, the church, look at and his, the, the people made in his image, and he would take our sin, and he would take our shame, and he would take our unfaithfulness upon himself. And he would die on our behalf. He wouldn't divorce himself from us. He actually says, no. I'm going to marry myself to the bride. And in doing so, I'm going to take the punishment. So let's continue in the story by reading verses 20 through 23. It says this. This is Joseph. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, so Joseph, in the midst of all that's taking place, does not immediately react, but he considers these things before him. Now, now really quickly, if you feel wronged, or when you are wrong, do you consider the things or do you react? Are you quick to be like, wait, I need a second. I need to pray. I need to ask. I need to consider. Or are you just like, nope. You shoot me, I shoot you back. Revenge. It's, it's time. And I believe our culture today would say, no, you need to shame, cancel, and cut off loudly on social media so you don't look bad, and that they're crushed. Oh, church, may we be countercultural. Because what happens is, as Joseph considers this, it bears fruit in his life. For an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. And so, let's just break down quickly what the angel says. First, he says, Joseph, son of David... Now, if you heard last week, we looked at the genealogy. Uh, Joseph is not the son of David. He's actually the son of Jacob. But what the angel does here is reveals that although Joseph would not be the paternal father of Jesus, Joseph was in the line of David, which was the line Jesus would come from. Next, he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What he means is that she will bear a son, and this is where it really opens up. But the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. For, and listen to this, he will save his people from their sins. And then we're led back to Isaiah 7.14, where the prophet tells us that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now again, Matthew is one of few words, but those words he employs carry a lot of detail. And so what I want to focus on in these verses is how the name or here names given to this child born by Mary and conceived by the Holy Spirit both connects to and produces great joy in the lives of all who follow and know him. And so first we get the name Jesus. Now, now up front, what we need to note is that the name Jesus, while filled with special meaning was and had been a common name amongst God's people for years and years and years. This, to most, would just seem like, oh, they're just naming him Jesus. It's just another name. Like, when I grew up, it would be like naming your kid Chris or Matthew. Like, it seemed like everybody. If your name's Chris or Matthew, there's it's nothing against you. Like, not an identity crisis, okay? You see, being so common, it was a name with significance, but man, the name Jesus had little flash up front. And I don't know about you, but like we like flash, don't we? Like you know the names that you hear and you're like, oh, I'm never going to get that name. Like ever. Like, I mean, if they want a name with flash, just go back to the genealogy and name him like Rehoboam or Zerubbabel or Hezron. You know, those are, those are names with flash. I mean, even in our culture, like people today go for the shock value name in ways that might be to their own kids' detriment one day. 
Like the craziest one I ever heard was when I was in college. I was finishing up uh, undergrad and I had to, one of the things we had to do is you had to go to financial aid to do like an exit kind of interview where they would tell you how to give them your money. And, uh, and so I was waiting in like the waiting area for my name to be called and me and a buddy were talking and uh, all of a sudden the financial aid person came out and she had a file in her hand. And so everyone looks up because we want our name to be called next, but what she says in the moment was totally shocking because all she said was, Crisco Bacon? Crisco Bacon. And me and my buddy looked at each other and I was like, no, that can't be. Guess what? Crisco stood up and Crisco walked into financial aid and I was like, oh my gosh, why? Right? Like, but it stuck with me forever. I'm like, the craziest name I've ever heard is Crisco Bacon. I don't, I don't get it. Or you have things like I, I, um, I have a nephew who for a while, uh, he didn't uh, like his name or one, so he decided to get a new name. And what he said, he said, I want you to call me by my name. I want you to call me Black Panther Meyer. <laughs> and he went with it like they, like you would say his name and he'd be like, no, nope, it's not my name. My name is this. But we do that, right? Like we want the flash. You see, while Jesus' name was common and it didn't seem flashy, man, it it is a significant name. Jesus is the Greek equivalent for Joshua in Hebrew, which means the Lord is salvation. It's fitting because the angel then shares. He says, this Jesus will what? He will save His people from their sins. And then we get the second name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Jesus would be the mediator between God and man that would make a way for God to be with man and for man to be with God. If you read through the Old Testament, one of the greatest acts in the Old Testament is when the tabernacle is built and when the temple is built because what happens is God's presence resides in the Holy of Holies. And man, it is celebrated. But guess what? Like It wasn't fully there. Because sin continued to separate it. There was a veil in between God and His people because of sin. You see, through Jesus, the veil that separated God and man has been torn in two. Jesus, according to John 1, was the Word that put on flesh and dwelt among us. He brought healing to our brokenness and need and made a way for us to be with God and He with us. But it's not just one moment. It is always. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 28. He says, Behold, I am what? I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. And that should bring joy. And these two names that Joseph is given here should for the follower of Jesus produce great joy and lead us then to the proclamation that He is the one who not only saves, but is with us to a world around us that needs the good news of salvation. Like today, does the name of Jesus, our Emmanuel, produce in you great joy? And if not, why not? If not, specifically in this season, maybe you need to go look at those expectations that you have. Maybe you're more expectant for other things rather than expecting Jesus to just make Himself known. I want to encourage you to press in and wrestle with that over the next couple of weeks of Advent. And so in line with this, I want to close out by looking at Joseph's response and what follows and really what that means for our lives in verses 24 and 25. It says this, When Joseph woke from sleep... He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, 
But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Okay, so following this encounter, Joseph wakes up and he responds to the angel's commands with obedience. He took Mary as his wife and he did not know her until she had given birth to a son. The son being Jesus. Now I want to do two things here as we close. First, I want us to see that Joseph's response is a beautiful picture of our adoptions as sons and daughters of God. You see, Joseph had every right, according to the betrothal laws, to divorce Mary and move on. But instead, he obeyed God, took Mary as his wife, and adopted Jesus as his son. And you see, God, who had every right to give us wrath, instead chose to love and adopt. We, who were not simply orphans, but enemy orphans unto himself, so that we might know life through his love as a good father to us. Secondly, the ending of this chapter seems uh, to tie a neat bow on Mary and Joseph's story. And we don't get a whole lot more after that. But you see, in their culture and even in our own, this obedience to God and one another would be filled with cost. You see, they would have been misunderstood. They would have been talked about. They would have been judged. It might have even cost them their it would have cost them their reputation and likely cost relationships with friends and family. You see, what we have to note is that all they are asked to do, and every act of obedience, is really only what will be done in a much greater sense for them and for us by Jesus. I was reading this week, J.D. Greer, man, he, he gives a great list concerning this when he says, he says, like Mary and Joseph, Jesus would be misunderstood and falsely accused. He would be despised and condemned by the so-called religious. And while Mary was spared a death sentence of shame, Jesus would take our death sentence upon himself and would be put to open shame on the cross for our salvation. And yet through his death, guess what? Jesus made a mockery. Sin, death, and the grave. And he put Satan to open shame. You see, in our lives, we must realize that obedience to Jesus costs. I mean, Jesus says it will. He says, if anyone's going to follow me, what? They're going to have to die to self. Pick up their cross, which is an instrument of death, daily, and follow. For the thousandth time, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. But you see, obedience to Jesus produces great joy in the life of all who follow him. You see, the story of his birth is a story of joy, for it sets forth the good news that we no longer have to expect a Savior to come, but can instead anticipate his return. For He came and dwelt among us and His coming led to His suffering so that we might be saved from our sins. Which now leads us to our sending. Obedience costs, but it is worth it. Look to Jesus and go. Next, we who know the story of His birth and have experienced rebirth, or just as Jesus says to Nicodemus, to be born, you must be born again. But we who have experienced rebirth through the grace of the gospel, man, guess what? In our lives, we have a story to tell. You 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story to tell. May we be quick and willing to tell it. We, we call it our testimony, right? Like we testify to what Jesus has done in our lives. Like may we share our rebirth story in this season and every season. May it be what we talk about to our children as we, if you work through Advent guys together, may one night sit and say, hey, we want you to, we want to tell you what Jesus has done for us. Mommy and daddy, like we didn't get it. Or maybe his husband, maybe his husband, like you never saw that. Or maybe like just get with someone and say, hey, I need to share my story. Because I also want you to, I want to point you to the story of this season. We have a story to tell. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And I just want to call us uh, to two things. I want to call us to response. And then I want to call us to communion. And and this is how I want you to respond today. I want you to take a moment, maybe just... Uh, close your eyes and breathe or just sit and reflect. But as you do, I want to ask just a, a few questions. One, where is your source of joy today? Is it Jesus or elsewhere? Next, maybe for you, like where do you need to obey no matter the cost? And then lastly, to whom... And or how can you share the story of what Jesus has done in your life to someone this week? And so I want want you to spend just a few moments just thinking about that. Then I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, we'll respond in communion together. But just give you uh, just a couple of moments to reflect on that. Father, I want to thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this season. We thank you for the story of uh, your great love and sending your son. Or maybe we be reminded of it. God, I pray for those that, that know you. I love they would be reminded even now of what you've brought them out of, what you've saved them from, and what you've saved them for. And if there's people in the room today that don't know you, that they would come to know you and that they would uh, realize that, man, they are in need of a salvation that only comes from you. That they would lay down their works and their performance or whatever it is and that they would look to you and you alone. I pray just, uh, God, that you would um, that you would draw us to obedience even when it costs And Lord, that that, that you would give us 
the, the strength by the power of your spirit to even in the midst of obedience that cause to have joy because we see that that's what you did for the joy that was set before you. You despised the shame and you willingly went to the cross. God, that we would be reminded today that you are the saving one and that you are God with us. May we respond in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.